football is back. 11 games, three days. I don't care that some of these games are against lauded and storied programs like Kent State, Colorado State, Eastern Washington, UC Davis. I want football, and football is here. On the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, we are going to take you through these games, let you know where the likely upsets are, break down the games by level of importance. Beyond that, we're going to get into some of these system quarterbacks that held off the high-profile transfers and talk about what it means for the Pac-12 conference. And after that, we're going to get into the fact that a lot of these games are being played on weekdays, and it's just not a trend we like to see continue for the Pac-12 conference. With George Reister, I'm Ralph Amsden. This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, are you ready for the preview of all the games in the Pac-12? I could not be more excited. And, I mean, college football is here. Week one overall stinks in college football, and but the Pac-12 has at least three games, maybe four games that are worth watching and that I'm excited about, Ralph. Are you ready to go? Uh, to be honest, and I think maybe having kids broke me a little bit, first I get anxious. <laughs> first I get anxious. So I mean, I know I'm excited. I know anxiety and excitement are basically the same feeling. They're kind of they're kind of twins with a couple of little differences. I think I'll be able to convert that anxiety as we're talking about some of these games uh, into excitement. I, I mean, I'm looking at this Thursday game going out to cover Arizona State at Kent State, knowing that I'm going to get home at three in the morning and then have to get up at, at, at 7 a.m. to take my kids to school. I'm going to feel groggy, but I think at the end of the day, it's all going to be worth it just to have some football back in our lives. Oh, football is back. There are a few people, though, that might not be so happy that the seasons are starting right now at this point in time. And that's a few of these quarterbacks who transferred this year within the Pac-12 or from other places into the Pac-12, thinking that they were going to win a job. And that did not happen. You're correct. And I, and I mean, there, there were there were jobs to be had. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Jake Luton at, 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 uh, at Oregon State, I mean, he didn't have the best year in the world last year. He he looked okay. I mean, he, he put up some numbers, but this wasn't a successful team. This was a two-win team. Tristan Gebbia probably thought that he was going to come in and steal this job. Some of his old coaching staff is in Corvallis. He was a heralded quarterback coming out of high school. I, I know that ASU was super disappointed that they didn't get a crack at him. He goes out to Nebraska. And it doesn't work out for him. He immediately chases his old coaches out to uh, Oregon State. You figure this is a guy that would probably even know the offense a little bit and have a leg up, uh, leg up. And instead, it's the six foot six, two hundred and ten pounder uh, who is who is going to continue his his career uh, at Oregon State as the starter. I'm not sure if he's on a short leash or not, but I do know that as of right now. He's got well. That's kind of scary, though, right? And so, I mean, if you're an Oregon State fan, after the way that Jake Luton played last year, are you excited about what's going on, or are you like, eh, I don't know, I don't know? It's scary, but they do return their leading he him the leading passer, their leading rusher, their uh, and nine of their leading tacklers. So in theory, they should be better. But at the same time, they lost all those games. They lost nine games by at least 17 points and a bunch of them by 20, 25, 30 points. So I don't know if that's going to translate to wins, though. And I don't think that when when Gebbia, when he made the move over, I'm not sure that he thought that Luton would, would be here. From what I understand, I mean, he was a senior last year, right? Like this is a guy who was granted an extra year of eligibility. And so maybe they just think that going with the big man is is going to uh, to help them. You know, he got his sixth year back in in January, and um, you know, maybe it's just that experience that they like, that trust factor. I think it's really hard for for uh, coaches to sometimes switch out from a starter who was already entrenched. Maybe it's a little bit easier to name somebody who's been a starter who hasn't already started in your program, or name somebody who came in 
over that person. But Luton has already started games. They already know what they have with him. And and uh, and college football coaches, they like to know what's going on in the head of their quarterbacks. They like to know them as well as you know your own child, you know. And so uh, maybe they're just more comfortable with him, or maybe he's the better player. We'll find out. But what's the difference? What's the difference for Oregon State? Is it three wins versus two? Should you try to set yourself up for the future? It'll be a really interesting situation. But he is not the only one. We also move down to the University of California at Berkeley, uh, where uh, your boy, Chase Garbers, has held off a highly touted transfer. What do we know about well, that? Oh, okay, so I remember Devin Modster, who was at UCLA, and when Josh Rosen got hurt, what, two years ago now, uh, he came in, got a little bit of time. I was like, okay, maybe he's a guy who, like, he showed some flashes. I was like, okay, there may be something there. And then he transfers out when Chip Kelly comes in. And I'm saying, wow, okay. Didn't even have a shot, apparently, huh? All right. So then he goes to Cal. And now he got a chance to go through all the spring and talk to some of the Cal coaches. And they were like, nah, Garbers is probably still going to be our guy. I could not have been more surprised. So if if you can't beat out Chase Garbers, who was not very good last year, granted he was a true freshman, he was thrown into playing a lot faster than you really would have wanted him to, but still like that I mean I mean it's not like you're trying to beat out Justin Herbert or or KJ Costello. That's not what you got at all. Or even a Khalil Tate down in in Arizona where it's going to be tough to unseat a guy. That wasn't the case at Cal. So if you look at Garbers, mind you, he probably did get better, but how much better is better considered that you were there and you thought you had an opportunity? I think a lot of these kids are coming up on a, a real humbling experience that they're coming into a situation where they're like, wow, I guess maybe I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. And, and that can be humbling or it just can be that you're not ready. So if I'm Modster, my next move, I'm either going to stay at Cal to get a great education because he was at UCLA. Now he's at Cal, two terrific institutions. But if I really want to play ball, maybe I consider a UC Davis. Maybe I consider a, you know, a Poly Pomona, like, you know, somewhere along those lines, like the next tier down, maybe a Mountain West school. That may be the right move and the proper move for him. But then... There's another quarterback battle that went on, a guy that transferred from one of those schools at Washington State who thought that he was going to go to Mike Leach's offense, much like Gardner Minshew did the previous year, and get a start, and that's not what happened. I'm a little bit confused here because I, I, I feel like you don't take a grad transfer from the FCS level unless you believe that he's going to come in and definitely be the guy. And with Gage Gabrud, I'm pretty sure Washington State thought they had the next Gardner Minshew, right? Um, and that's not the case. They end up taking somebody from inside the program, uh, Anthony Gordon, who is a fifth-year senior, somebody who I hadn't really uh, heard much of or from this entire time. This is a guy who has three career passes at Washington State for a total of 17 yards. His one incompletion was an interception. And so uh, you want to talk about unproven. Uh, you're going with a guy in Anthony Gordon who has never played but has been in your system a really long time over somebody who has played a whole bunch at the FCS level. I would think, though, that that Anthony Gordon's on a pretty short leash, though, because Mike, Mike Leach, he even benched Falk a couple years ago at quarterback, and Falk had thrown about a trillion touchdowns for him. And he said, you know what? You're not playing well right now, Tyler Helinski. Come on in, buddy. Come on in. And, and that's the way that he runs his system and the way he runs his program and the way programs should be run. The best players should be able to play. And Mike Leach, you know he's going to do whatever he needs to do to win, and he's not going to be shy to pull any of those guys out. But, I mean, he's got a guy with 17 career passing yards starting over a guy with 10,000 career passing yards with 87 <laughs> career touchdown passes. Here, ah, Two-time finalist for the Walter Payton Award. Like, here's what somebody I know. who tore it up in the FCS. Here's what I know, Ralph, is that sometimes when there are players 
some players do not practice well at all. Sometimes players are really, really bad in practice. And that could be the case with with Gage Gabrow, the transfer from Eastern Washington. He may not have put anything together in practice, been able to throw picks or not been able to grasp the offense as well as Mike Leach would have wanted. So maybe he went with the safer choice to start the season, knowing that there may be a change coming that the kid has to get just a little bit more ready. I guess. I mean, it's not like this this is a guy who owns three FCS records, seven big sky conference records, 19 records at Eastern Washington. He had 48 touchdown passes last year. I bet you what in the I, hell is going. I bet you they uh, both, he, could he be hurt? He could he could be, but also they're both going to play versus New Mexico State. Like let's not get it twisted. This is we could actually we could just move straight into the games now. This is okay. this is the biggest line in the entire Pac-12 this this week. None of the, the nor New Mexico State is awful and. Washington State is favored by 34 points in this game. 34 points. Like, there, there is zero chance that they should lose this football game. Zero. So, I'm sitting there saying, all right, if if you're Mike Leach, you know you got six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. Who does it make? It doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. It doesn't, you know, hurt you, whoever you start. Because both of them are going to play. You're going to be up by a million points. And there's no way you can lose this football game. Do you? I mean, do you think they cover? That's a lot of points to be given up. It it is, but they're but they're awful, man. So this game is on Saturday, August thirty first at seven p.m. And if you want to watch it, then you may have to get some antennas or sling or some random some other random TV provider because it's on the Pac twelve network. Ah. Uh. I mean, I got I got the Pac-12 network. I got I got limited DVR space, and it's going to be all filled with with Pac-12 games all year long. Um, I mean, I just I, I don't see a chance for an upset, but you you're going to roll out a quarterback who's never really played before against a team that kind of I mean that, that that wings the ball around a lot too. There's going to be a lot of passing in this game. All it takes is one receiver for New Mexico State to. I mean, we saw that <laughs> Hawaii against Arizona. You know, you get one good receiver out there that can burn the same defensive back over and over and over again. Maybe you can make it a game for a little bit. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there, there's absolutely no reason that Washington State shouldn't put this game away, uh, especially with a, their improved their improved defense. But you just uh, – without without knowing who the quarterback's going to be or if they're any good. If Gage Cabrude was the quarterback going into this game – I'm, I might actually say, yeah, minus 34, why not? Let's roll. But I, I don't think I can do it with an, with, with an unknown. I can, I can understand that. I, I tend to stay – I don't really gamble too much, but I tend to stay away from college games with these huge lines anyway because I may right. – the only time I really bet is if I'm in Vegas for a particular reason during football season and I'll place like a $20 parlay to win, you know, $8 million. <laughs> I've I'm taking like a 38 team parlay and then I'll win 37 games except for the very last game and that would be this 34 point game. I would say so I I do I do gamble a little bit and 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 I truly mean a little bit uh because it's I think that's just a a, a life tax. I say yeah, I'm a, I'm going to lose 20 bucks today. That's the price <laughs> of being alive and getting to watch all these sports. And so, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I'm, it's a, it's a line that I'm kind of afraid of. Um, but at the same time, I mean, these are, this New Mexico state team is the team. It's the level of team that Gage used to tear up. Like this would be just another day in the life for him. And he's going to be watching this game from the bench, I, this 24 year old quarterback. He's going to play Ralph. He's going to play. I promise you he's going to, he's going to play. But the, but the first game up of the entire PAC 12 season, because we're just going to pretend like last week, Arizona and Hawaii in zero week, we're just going to pretend that that was a, that that was a college football preseason game. We're not even going to count that for the, for the Arizona Amsden's. <laughs> we're not going to count that. But the first game is tomorrow, 4 p.m. Pacific. You have the 
Bruins of UCLA playing at Cincinnati. And this is a big game. It is on ESPN. And it's, I mean, it's a big game just between you and I, regardless of anything else. This game, it's crazy how much this game matters just between my credibility and your credibility on the topic of the UCLA Bruins. Oh my Lord. I didn't even think about that. Um, I didn't even think this is, I mean, we're talking about what games are the most important in the conference. Oh, I'm already, bro. I'm so nervous for this kickoff. It's less okay. than 24 hours away. And my heart's just like, ah, this is a <laughs> revenge game for UCLA. UCLA. I was at the Rose bowl last year when Cincinnati came in to play UCLA, their first game of the season. Everybody expected Chip Kelly to come in, get a win, start his tenure off right, and that's not what happened. But Cincinnati last year was a top 25 team for the majority of the season. So let's not get it, you know, so that that wasn't as terrible as a loss as it sounds when you say you lost to Cincinnati. And now they got to go out there, they got to head to Cincinnati, which is a tough place to play, but the team is nowhere near as good as they were last year. So... That and Cincinnati went eleven and two, eleven and two, and they beat UCLA twenty six to seventeen. This is a revenge game. UCLA absolutely wins this game, and to me, this is one of the two most important games in the Pac twelve. This in week one, uh, aside from the Oregon Auburn game, because we have already magnified that and pumped that up to as far as it can go. But aside from that game, this is the second or third most important game in the Pac-12 this season. Not just because UCLA is going to win the South, but because the conference cannot lose to mid, I want to call them mid-majors, but group of five teams. I I will agree with you. I think uh, they have uh, Cincinnati as a favorite, but when you're a slim favorite, it's basically saying it's like a pick 'em game. And that the only reason you're the favorite is because you got the home jersey. Well, this is on. a four and a half point. Um, it, it opened at four and a half points, and now at Westgate and the MGM, it's at three points. Cincinnati's favorite by three points. Okay, so a bunch of people are in there putting money on UCLA, moving the line so that it evens out a bit. I'm not as confident as all these people that are laying money down. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, I mean. I don't know if it's a matter of uh, of revenge or not. I think I think that UCLA just has to go in and focus on being able to run a confident offense. I don't think the opponent matters that much. I, I, I they lost so much last year, George, that if they were thinking about revenge, it's all they'd ever think about. <laughs> and so, you know, going going to Cincinnati is, yeah. I mean, like like Belichick said, we're on to Cincinnati, right? It's just the, it's just what you got to be thinking about until until next week. And if they lose, they can't let it derail their season because this is a tough opponent in a tough environment. And um, I mean, it wouldn't be a good look for the Pac-12. I think it, the Pac-12 could absolutely get their clock clean. Cincinnati could win, BYU could win, and it would all at the end of the day be up to Oregon to redeem the entire conference. And then, to, uh, you know, conversely, I think the whole conference could go out and and win all these games that they're expected to win. And if Oregon doesn't do their job, then all of a sudden we're talking about the Pac-12 having a, having a bad day. So, you know, this game, I think it matters between you and I, but everything sort of pales in comparison to the big one, right? So uh, UCLA, just I just want to see UCLA run an offense that can stay on the field. That's it. And and that's really going to come down to Dorian. Well, they did Robinson that at the end of the year. Hit on some short passes. They they did yeah. that at the end of the year with without an athletic mobile quarterback. And you got to remember, Chip Kelly went to the national championship with Darren Thomas as quarterback, not with Marcus Mariota, with Darren Thomas. So if he can do that with Darren Thomas, he can do it with Dorian Thompson Robinson, who is a who is an upgrade, but same same kind of guy, but an upgrade at that position he's at least 2x better we'll see we'll see i mean i'm gonna be I, i'll be glued to this game absolutely glued to this game i'm gonna get to the i'm gonna get out to sun devil stadium early i'm gonna post up do all my pre-game writing right in front of a television and i mean i won't be missing a single minute of this well speaking game. of sun devil stadium that's the next game that is up the arizona state sun devils host the kent state 
What is what is Kent State's mascot? Golden. I saw somebody wrote Golden Flashers earlier today. They're the Golden Flashers. Oh, okay, okay. I'm um, not even going to pretend. I'm not a, even going to pretend like I knew that. It's supposed to be a bird, but it's also supposed to be like lightning. It, it's a lot. A Their nickname does more than the team does. Ralph, this is a 26 point spread. Arizona State is favored by 26 points. Number one, why are they even playing this game first and foremost? This is an absolute waste of time. Jaden Daniels, he'll get some reps, but they could have done this in a scrimmage. This is bad. I honestly, I don't I uh, Northern Arizona University alternates every year uh, between playing Arizona State and Arizona, so the warm-up game has to be somebody and and what's weird is this year they have two lower level opponents. It doesn't usually work out that way for ASU. So they'll play this game and then they'll go to play Sacramento State next week. Um, uh, two not very quality games that probably won't do a very good job preparing them for Michigan State in week three. Um, there's a little bit of danger in this game. I know that Kent State went two and eight last year, played absolutely zero defense and didn't protect the quarterback. But all the danger is in Kent State quarterback Woody Barrett. I mean, this is a guy who's 6'2", 240, and he went into last season and played games against Illinois, Penn State, and Mississippi. So, I mean, you know, didn't win any of those, but he personally played respectably. There, he's not going to come to Sun Devil Stadium. Hold, hold on. So so like, you're trying to sell me that this is that this is the equivalent of Samford versus Florida State last year when Florida when Samford should have beat Florida State, but they barely squeaked it out at the end. That's what you're trying to tell me that this Kent State game is. Uh no, I thought so. Arizona State needs to crush this team. I mean, that's there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They need to crush this team, but I'm just saying that Kent State's quarterback isn't gonna come in and 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 crap the bed on the field at Sun Devil Stadium when this won't match up to him playing against Penn State or Ole Miss like he's been in big okay. moments. He's a big he's a big boy who's been in big moments. So if ASU expects Kent State to just roll over, it's not going to happen. They got to go out and take it. They got to go out and show some killer instinct and and take this game. And I think that at the end of the day, I mean they'll run that score up pretty well. Um, but um, they need to come out and they need to be impressive from the get-go. They need to sh- – because they're in great shape, to be honest. This is the best shape I've ever seen this team in. Um, but can they go out there and – I mean, do they have killer instincts? Man. To You know, because they're going to play some tough games later on. But when you got you got an opponent that comes in that can't protect the quarterback and that can't stop anybody, you got to hit the quarterback and you got to run that score up. And if ASU doesn't do that, then you start to get concerned. Okay, so I how – important is this game do you think to Eno Benjamin only because because this is a game where guys tend to pile up stats and if you are going to make a Heisman push how much is you know you know Arizona State involved or willing to make a Heisman push because I got so much backlash on Twitter Yesterday, when I said I posted the Pac-12 best skill position players in 2019, I had number one, Labiska Chenault, number two, Jalen uh, Johnson from Utah, the DB from Utah, Justin Herbert, number three at quarterback, right. Zach Moss, number four, and Joshua Kelly, number five. Arizona State fans lit my page up. They were like, and now Benjamin, and now Benjamin. I was like, the, like, the kid is good. I did, that was not a dissy annoy, annoy Benjamin. So I'm wondering how much is Herm Edwards going to balance getting some of the young guys some reps and really making an opportunity for Benjamin to get to that 2,000-yard plateau by putting up, you know, 190, 205 against a very poor Kent State team. I think, I mean, first of all, they, they want to establish the run. That's what Herm Edwards is all about. Um, but – I think that this is more of a game that for for Eno Benjamin's future, it needs to be a game where Jaden Daniels is the one who goes out and shows something. Because you have a game against Kent State to start the season, that's going to be the film that Pac-12 teams watch on you. So if Jaden Daniels can go in there, he can hit a couple of deep passes, then all of a sudden when you get to Pac-12 play, you don't have nine men in the box against Eno. 
So yeah, you want Eno to go out and get his, and I'm sure they're hoping you know he can have a, a healthy 150 and get off the field and rest up for for the next week. Uh, but what you really want to see is Jaden Daniels do enough to make defenses nervous about making Eno Benjamin the that makes whole sense. game plan. That makes a lot of sense. And the next game up, I okay, people keep trying to sell me that this is a big game, that this is a huge game. It's it's only a six and a half point line, which I was very surprised at. That's Utah going to BYU. I know that this is the the rivalry, the state of Utah. There's bad blood, even though they're going to pray after all of that. I get it. But at the same time, you know, like BYU doesn't scare anybody. The, the, the only team that they should scare is probably so they so Cal beat them last year, but then they beat Wisconsin, but they only finished seven and six. This is a team that, you know, that beat Arizona, lost to Cal, beat Wisconsin, beat McNeese State, then got drowned by Washington. Same thing by Utah State. Then they beat Hawaii, lost to Northern Illinois six to seven, then lost to Boise State, and they beat Massachusetts, New Mexico, and and then they lost to Utah in a in a eight point game last year I, I just aside from it being a rivalry I don't think that these teams are that close and if Utah can't blow the doors off of BYU then they're not winning the Pac-12 I, I yeah I think the danger for Utah is coming into this game knowing that this game matters more than just being the holy war right this game all of a sudden is proof of whether or not Utah is as real as some people have made them out to be. There's no reason Utah should lose this game. They've won eight in a row. They've dominated the entire decade. So, I mean, I I don't really see, um, you know, it was only an eight-point win last year, a six-point win the year before, one-point win before that, seven-point win before that. So when we talk about the line being close, well, the game's usually close. I mean, that. It's been probably eight years since there was any a game that was um, decided yep. by more than eight points, and that was a fifty-four to ten win. So, I mean, it's always close, and when the game's close, you kind of play with fire a little bit. And uh, Utah needs to go out and not just show that they are going to continue to hold off the little brother uh, and 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 win by a touchdown or whatever. They need to go in and they need to show that this is a team that's going to win the Pac-12 South and compete for the Pac-12 championship, potentially to go to the playoff. There's so much pressure on this game, it's ridiculous, but it's so one-sided. And that's what makes it dangerous for Utah, is that BYU, this is just a rivalry game for them. And then they're going to move on with their lives and, and worry about what comes next. Utah's entire season could get derailed by losing to their rival. And that's the danger, I think, of having that rivalry game in week one. But it's also incredibly exciting. And, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm going to do my best to record this game and then run home and, and, and watch it. And I'll probably <laughs> stand up till 6 in the morning um, just trying to well, get all these Utah games on has Thursday. Some, well, sorry. BYU, I should say, they are dangerous in the fact that their defense is typically very, very good. I mean, they are uh, Kalani Sataki. Their head coach is a good head coach, despite that not necessarily having the success that he would have wanted to have there so far. And But their quarterback, too, Zach, Zach Wilson, he's number one. He's a threat running the ball and passing the ball, and their running back, Tyshawn um, Tyson Williams is a good player too. So th- this is a game where Utah, Zach Moss, Tyler Huntley, they cannot turn over the football. If they turn over the football, they have a chance to lose this game. As long as they protect the football, their defense should put them in good enough positions to win the football game. So uh, th- to me, this is not a scary game. However, this is a game where you know, Utah needs to show up on some level. I mean, and again, they've won the last six matchups by an average, by an average 
of about five points and never won the game by more than eight. So when you look at betting that line, I mean, you're really playing with fire if you think that Utah is going to definitely go out and cover that spread. I totally agree with that. And the next game up is Friday. It's Colorado State versus Colorado. I think this is the last time that they're going to play for a long time, at least for the foreseeable future, which which makes no sense to me. If you're going to play a non-conference game and you're in state, you might as well play that. That's like Utah not playing BYU. What kind of sense does that make? The uh, Colorado has a brand new coach, Mel Tucker. The cupboard is not bare. Steven Montez is a decent quarterback. I would actually, I you know, I put him right around the JT Daniels category. Don't think he's special either, but Colorado has to start like they're in program building mode right now. They can't lose games to Colorado State. They're trying to establish a mentality. They want to create a real home field advantage. And this is a game where they can get some buzz around their crowd because last year when they started five and oh their crowd was a little ruckus they were excited it became a real home field advantage then they dropped seven straight and they couldn't get fans in the stadium so this is an opportunity against colorado to have a good showing they're 10 point favorites and if they can you know kind of get if they can win this game by 14 or more points and people are going to look at colorado the fans are going to say all right cool we'll show up We'll get the rest of this season ticket package and really be fans this year. Okay, so the, and I think they are going to continue the rivalry, but they're not going to continue playing it in Vesco oh, okay. Field, where they've where they've been playing for about for about two decades. I think there might actually be a couple years uh, in the next five or six where they don't play each other at all. They will continue it. It's just not going to be in Vesco Field. And get this, George, you're going to love this. They what? can't sell beer at this game. It's being played. Yeah, you can't. You can't sell beer in this game because a ban was put in place by the city of Denver when back in the 1999 Rocky Mountain Showdown, police had to fire tear gas at hundreds of CSU fans, including the marching band, to keep you them from rushing the field. realize how ridiculous that sounds? So... Yeah, and the CSU CSU kids, they were just excited that they got a big win in that game. They wanted to rush the field. The police end up <laughs> firing tear gas at all the fans, and then you're banned from alcohol sales. I mean, so you can tailgate before this game, and there's no better place to get a beer than, I mean, and Denver's got all the, if you're a micro brew person like my wife is, no better place than Denver. You can't get any inside the stadium. Uh, because of because of what happened back in 1999, and that's probably my favorite. Yeah, part I'm of this interested library. to see this game. However, it's scary. It's scary because there are a number of Pac-12 teams that play Mountain West teams this week. You got Colorado, Colorado State. You have USC, Fresno State. You have UCLA, who's not playing a Mountain West team, but they are playing a Group of Five team. And after that Arizona Hawaii game, I, I I'm telling you, I am a little bit nervous about what's going on because the 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 conference just has to win these games. They just have to. Otherwise, it is a terrible look. It's not a bad look if Oregon State loses, or maybe even if God, Colorado, but Mel Tucker's there now. He came from the SEC. It, it, it's just it's just gotta it's just gotta do better. I think Colorado's got to win this game just to end a seven-game losing streak. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm not sure it matters much in the in the grand scheme of things uh, because Colorado, if they want to do any damage this year, it's going to have to be against Pac-12 South opponents anyway. Uh, this game has never really played into the uh, overall outcome of either team's season. It's just sort of a fun – it's almost like a preseason game because you know Colorado's not going to be competing for any national championships. You know that Colorado State's not going to be competing to win the Mountain West. And so, you know, it it might be a bad look for the Pac-12 overall, but until Colorado comes out and and does more than what they did a couple of seasons ago when they had sort of their share – uh, and, you know, they went and represented the Pac-12 South. Colorado's got to have some consistency. they got to win two years in a row before people start accepting them as any more than just a a, a, a Big 12, uh, you know, a former Big 12 team that's like a, a, a charter oh. member of the Pac-12. I, I honestly believe 
I, dude, I believe this with all my heart that there are a lot of people out there who look at Colorado as like, if we break up the Pac-12, you know, they're probably going to be one of the first to go. It's 1,100 miles from the nearest school that it plays against. And uh, and they haven't done much and they haven't done anything consistently. And so um, I, I, I don't think that people will be as upset if Colorado State beats Colorado because it happens sometimes. It really falls to Colorado to improve as the season goes and prove the it against some of the Pac-12 South South. is probably the most intriguing game of me of, of the weekend. The intriguing game that a lot of people really aren't paying attention to, and that is Oregon State versus Oklahoma State. I, actually, sorry, Oklahoma State at o- Oregon State. That's actually very, very intriguing yeah. to me. It is Jonathan Smith in his second year. We talked about Jake Lutton, Luton, however you say his name, their quarterback. He is he won the job. We know about the running back, Jefferson. He's the real deal. And after the way Oregon State performed against Ohio State last year, even though they ended up losing 77 to 31, that was a much closer game than than it seemed. They get they didn't get blown out till the fourth quarter. And Oklahoma State is projected to be way down this year. People are projecting them to finish fifth, sixth in or and be a seven win team in the Big 12, maybe an eight win team at the most. So this is a game that if you're Oregon State, you have to walk in this game thinking, wow, we maybe can win this game. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State, uh, even if they take a step back, you're talking about a team that was 13th in scoring nationally last year. So you have a team that's never stopped anybody versus a team that's really hard to stop. It really falls to uh, Oregon State, if they want to be competitive, to get a couple of stops. As former as former Arizona State quarterback Manny Wilkins used to say, it's about getting a stop in a bucket. So like you and and Oregon State knows they can score. You remember yeah, when they opened they against Ohio no State fear. last they year? They were in the horse. Like, they were oh in the God, horse. Buckeyes can't and stop. And didn't come out. They didn't let Ohio State roll out their hel- helmets and win. So they're damn sure not going to let Oklahoma State do it at home. Right, and, and I mean you've got a lot of experience in the defensive backfield for uh, Oklahoma State, but not really any at linebacker or on the defensive line. So you got to feed Jamar Jefferson. You got to establish some dominance. You got to come out and you got to be physical from the get go. And then somebody on your defense needs to make a play. They've got a guy who I'm a huge believer in who has yet to show up and match his potential. His name's Hamilcar Rashid. He's sort of an outside 3-4 stand-up linebacker. He can play with his hand in the dirt, or he can rush off the edge. He is a monster. If he can get to their quarterback, if they can free him up and he can get to the quarterback, he can be a game-changer on his own. But this is his fourth year out there. He doesn't have a whole lot of time left to prove you know, that he's going to be the guy for them. Physically, he looks it. He's got the talent, but I mean, they they have to have somebody step up because they can't just be Swiss okay, cheese so on defense Ralph, all the time. This uh, Oklahoma State is now a fourteen point favorite, and before we even do that, because we did not do the BYU Utah game, who do you who are you picking in that game? Who's going to win? Who's gonna Who's yeah. gonna win Utah BYU? I have Utah Utah by a field goal. (laughs) I have Utah by six points. I I got them by two field goals. I think that they're going to be right around the spread. And all the rest of the games were pretty much layups. So now we can start picking. Oklahoma State is 14-point favorites as of right now against Oregon State. At Oregon State, who do you have winning that game? I have Oklahoma State winning. And I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a matter. This is the way I see it going down. I think Oklahoma State can win by two scores. It's going to be one of those things where Oregon State keeps making it a one-score game over and over again. Um, and uh, do I think Oregon State has a chance to win? I'm. I'm not so sure. Um, I mean, it, if they can find a way to just dominate the ball so that Oklahoma State doesn't have it all the time, 
then they definitely have a shot. But I'm not sure they'll do that. I think if they get down a touchdown or two, then you might just see, you know, everybody firing rockets all over the field. And I think that that benefits, that ultimately benefits Oklahoma State. So I would put it, I would put it 42, um, 42, 35. I believe Oregon State has a chance to shock the world, but then they're going to, but oh, hold on, hold on. Oh but they're going to squander it in the like the one of the last possessions of of the game, and this is going to be a game <laughs> oh, that they're no. going to be looking at. Oh my God, we could have got this one, and this will be this will be the difference between their their third win and fourth win of the season. That'll be the only difference with them. The next game up though, Saturday, four p.m. Well, one p.m. out here on the West Coast. Northwestern comes all the way out here to the best coast this year. Stanford went out there and played an ungodly early game last year and 11 a.m. kick Pacific, which is craziness. And they played against Northwestern. Now Northwestern comes out. Stanford is a six and a half point favorite. Who do you got, Ralph? Oh, and this game's on ABC. Well, I, I know that I'm not going to feel sorry for whoever loses. <laughs> like that's uh, when you see Northwestern and Stanford playing each other on the schedule. And one team beats another one. It doesn't matter how bad. You're like, oh, those poor guys, you know, leaving the field to their awesome <laughs> future ahead of them. Else. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't wait. I'm, I have to. You can't tweet about this game in case somebody on the field ends up being your future boss. So. I would say, uh, I mean, I would say that I feel like Stanford, um, Stanford's going to have this one in hand. Um, Northwestern, they got a great coach in Pat Fitzgerald. They've had decent enough talent the last few years. They play physical. Uh, they, I think they maximize what they have on the field. Um, but I, Chicago kids, Illinois kids coming out. And, and playing in the Bay Area early in the morning to start their season off that way, I think they're going to find themselves down three touchdowns at half. And I think from that point, you know what Stanford My, does when they get up a couple of scores. They, they're just going to they're just going to put the squeeze so on these and slowly. Teams are exactly alike in the fact that they just just wear on you. They win games just war of attrition. Except for Stanford's more talented. That's the bottom line. Stanford has a better quarterback. The only thing that Stanford yeah. does not have on paper right now is a better running back because Cameron Scarlett is not Bryce Love. He's not. Uh, he's not any. Of, he's not Toby Gerhart. He's not any of the ones that they've had before. He's not Christian McCaffrey. This guy's. He's. He's just not. So the question is, do they have somebody on the bench that can be special, and who can read holes, make plays, because. We know that David Shaw wants to run the football. He wants to do that consistently, and he will even bang his head against the wall when he doesn't need to. And if he lets K.J. Costello loose, then this is a game that will far exceed this six-and-a-half-point spread. I believe I got Stanford winning this game. I think it's going to be – I think they're going to end up winning by a field goal when they should have been up by 21 points – and then David Shaw finally just is like, all right, fine. I just I just got to throw the, throw the ball 40 times a game because we can't run the ball like we want to. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, Northwestern, I think we're thinking maybe too much about what Stanford can and can't do on offense and not thinking about the fact that Northwestern is only bringing two starters back on the offensive line, new quarterback new tight end uh they're in about half their defense graduated and both corners are starting their very first year um and i think that they can probably cover up for the fact that the running game isn't what you need it to be by going out and just yeah. throwing the ball just go out and throw the ball and once you once you establish a lead then try to work some kinks out of your out of your running game and then again i mean you can never really count out Pat Fitzgerald, they opened up last year at Purdue and made that a close one. Um, and then, you know, they, they, uh, or they won, they actually won that game by four on the road. And then they had a, uh, then they, you know, two weeks later, after everybody's excited about Northwestern, yep. they go and lose to Akron at home yep. and lose to Duke at home. 
And so, uh, you know, I don't know. This is a, this is also, but then this is a team yep. that beat the hell out of Utah in their bowl game. So, uh, but they, they did lose a lot of players and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and stick with the fact that Stanford can cover up for their deficiencies by going out and throwing See, the Stanford ball immediately. Needs to win this a game. Bit of a they need to, if Stanford's going to get to 10 wins this year, this is, this has to be one of the games because their early season game is not going to be easy. They got Northwestern, UCF, USC. Like this is, this is not just, you know, like this is not a cakewalk. This is not a cakewalk by any stretch. And last year yeah. they finished nine and four. The year before nine and five, year before 10 and three, 12 and two, eight and five. You know, if Stanford wants to do anything special besides just win nine games a year, then, you know, this is a game that they have to have. The next game. Worst thing that could happen, worst thing that could happen to Stanford is that sophomore running back, uh, Isaiah Bowser from Northwestern. If he comes out and he's the Bowser that's <laughs> always harassing Mario, like he, if he goes out there, and he's a villain. I mean, and he this the leading rusher last year was a freshman, almost 900 yards rushing. If he goes out and he has a big first half right off the bat, then it's just going to be one of those oh, knockdown drag totally out close agree. games. Oh, and Ralph, Ralph, the most, and now we get to the most important game in the Pac-12 for this weekend. It is, I mean, it has been talked about it until everybody can't hear about it anymore. It's Auburn versus, uh, well, Oregon versus Auburn played in Jerry's world. It This is going to be on, on, every, on every television in every place that you can possibly see. It is going to be on ABC. This is a revenge game for Oregon from the national championship from 2011. The BCS national championship, all type of storylines potential Heisman Trophy candidate, freshman starter with Bo Nix. And this this game opened up with Auburn being a a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and now it's all the way down to three-and-a-half points. Auburn is favorite. Who wins this game, Ralph? I think Oregon wins the game. I'm not going to depend on a true freshman quarterback to go out there and get a win. I don't think Auburn's running game is um, is good enough to carry them through. I actually like Oregon's run defense. I know I, they don't have Jalen Jelks anymore, so that's a little bit of a problem for me. But, I mean, they, they've got a lot of talent. If you can slow down Auburn's running game, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a close, low-scoring first half. And then I think you're going to see Oregon start to pull away in the second half. I, I think that first half is going to have a lot of people holding their breath. The, with the line being on Auburn's side right now, and me thinking that Oregon's going to win outright, then obviously you think you know you know where I'm going with the with the spread. Oh, but I, think I Oregon totally wins this agree game for you. sure. I I just I believe that Bo Nix is going to be a good quarterback for Auburn, but this is a team that in 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 Oregon, their offensive line best in the nation. Auburn's defensive line is one of the best in the nation. So this is a game where Mario Cristobal has to put his stamp on this Oregon program. This is such a must win that a loss can't even be an option. This is such a big game for Oregon and the Pac-12 because the whispers around the nation are mm, Oregon's not, not what they used to be ever since Chip Kelly left. They just haven't been, been the same. And, and, you know, the Oregon faithful is tired of hearing that. And also another key component, what people don't know that goes on behind the scenes at some of these schools is Phil Knight is almost – 90 years old he's 80 some years old and everybody wants to win a national championship for him before he dies he's not going to be alive for forever he's a good man done a lot of great things for the pac-12 in stanford and in oregon and invisibility helping with visibility for the conference in general so this i mean there's just so many factors at play right here oregon's Wide receivers are a little bit hurt right now. Micah Pittman is is hurt. Uh, Brendan's uh, schooler is hurt. Did, I mean, so it all falls to my guy Johnny Johnson the third. Got to make the big catch at the big moment. He can't just make the one fancy catch in the first quarter for forty five yards and then oh. spend the rest of the game dropping the two or three that are meant for him in more meaningful moments, 
you know, he, he, this is his time. He has to step up. It's his third year in an Oregon uniform. I've watched this guy since he was 14 years old. He could be a very special player. They need to trust him more than 25 yards down the field. They got to get him the ball on some bubbles and let him use that physicality, that muscle mass to push for some yards and, uh, and then change up the speed a little bit by getting the ball to Jalen Red. You know, and just and just get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Don't worry about getting yards, you know, 30, 40 chunk of yards at a time. Let some of your best skill players go up against some of Auburn's best skill players. I totally You'll agree see which you conference have. has the next speed. game up is a oh well actually we are we we already talked about the 34 point spread, Washington and New Mexico State. So we'll get to the what I believe is the most intriguing game. Well, aside from the Oregon State, Oklahoma State game, I think that this is the most, sorry, the most important game to the Pac-12 because this game, depending on how it goes, could set in motion a ton of crazy changes. That is Fresno State at USC. This game this game opened up oh, at 9.5 points, and now it's at, 13 and a half points and USC it, and this game is on ESPN. It's the night game, seven 30 Pacific. This is the culmination of the back 12 season because if USC, because I have a sneaky suspicion that USC is like something feels weird in the air out here in California they may lose this football game. This feels like when they were favored by 50 points against Fresno State and they lost. This is bad, dude. I am nervous. I am terrified. I am petrified. And I cannot have USC losing this game because the nation is going to go, oh, God, USC lost to Fresno State. And then USC's fans are going to be going crazy, Ralph. They're going to say, oh, fire Helton now. And then who's going to be the next next coach? Urban Meyer may be in place before the season goes out, or are they going to hire Jeff Tetford? After they, they may literally, if Fresno State wins this game, they may literally fire Clay Helton and then offer Jeff Tetford the job right there on the, on the spot. Yeah. Right there at midfield. <laughs> uh, here, here's what I'll say. This game, you know what this game feels like to me? You're going out of town for a weekend, and you look your kids right in the face, and you tell them, <laughs> you better not throw any goddamn parties while I'm gone. And then you walk out the door, and you're, and you're just constantly second-guessing yourself. Like, my kid's good, right? Like, they would. I mean, they probably would, but they won't if I told them not to like this is the opportunity for them to to earn my trust they're not gonna do it are they are they are they Uh, so like i'm that's all i've been thinking about all week long is like usc is not gonna blow this when all off season everyone said they were going to but that whole team knows that they can't blow it because of what it will mean for the entire program i just I don't know. It's an impossible team to trust, even though they have all of this talent. Okay. And Fresno State is good. Just like parties are tempting, right? You got an empty house, you got your friends, let's have a good time. Fresno State is good. It is fully believable that they could turn around and do to USC what they did to the team that beat USC that last not, year in Arizona State. That was not State terrifying to me game. because I knew my Why parents would they kick be my able ass. To, you know? So that was the, I didn't never even considered it. Well, that. that and 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 maybe Lynn Swan will have to take off the belt and 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 play and play upset dad, you know, if they end up losing this game. I don't think they will. I hate this line. I absolutely hate that LA is four hours from Vegas. So you have all these people driving over and piling all the money onto USC's side. And I'd stay far away from it. If anything, I'd take Fresno State, you know, uh, plus the 13 or whatever. But I will say that I think that USC wins this game. Not in a convincing fashion enough to like relieve all of the pressure that's being put on them by a pissed off fan base, 
but they're not going to blow it, are they? They're not going to blow it, are I they? Think, are they? I believe no you way. hit the nail right on the head, buddy. That this is for that this is not going to be a blowout win. This is just going to be a win that's just good enough. That's just good enough to to get the W, but not relieve any you know fears. There's actually going to be more speculation going on. People are going to be uneasy. They're going to be like, ah, oh, they that they, they won, but it wasn't pretty. And and if they if they do lose, let's be really honest. Fresno State was good last year, but this year the only thing that's going to be the same about Fresno State is the bulldog yep. on the helmet. They replaced yep. the whole oh, offense. Okay. The oh, whole so thing. I got a question. If they come out and they beat USC so with I got a, a question, brand Ralph. new offense, if USC yikes. loses to Fresno State and then loses to Stanford. Does Clay Helton make it make the plane to BYU? Yeah, I th- I think that the uh, I think the change would be going going into Washington. I, I think that he'll get four games regardless, unless he's unless he's zero and three, maybe going into the fourth game. Would be <laughs> my guess. God, I hate that we're even having this conversation because we spent the entire every previous episode like, ah, no, we're the only ones that are high on USC, and now when it comes time to pull the trigger, we're like, they might lose to Fresno State. Well, so, I did say that they have the biggest range of any team in the Pac-12. They could yeah. go five and seven, or they could go twelve and zero. That's how talented this team is. But there is something a big disconnect. And the final game in the Pac-12 is UC Davis versus Cal. And I think Cal Cal's only favored by two touchdowns in this game. However, however, this is a game that Cal needs to, because of how good their defense was last year, they returned so many starters. This is a game that they must blank UC Davis. Like UC Davis can't get on the board in terms of a confidence booster for Cal. Because if Cal can shut them out, which is entirely possible, and put up, you know, 35 points or so, 38 points, that is going to propel Cal to have some serious momentum for the rest of the season. Because this is a team that finished the regular season, what, six, six and six? Yeah. And now, and now you're like, oh, no, 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 sorry. They finished the regular season seven. No, no, six and six, and then they won the bowl game. So you're just like, okay, this is a team that, you know, they're going to build some momentum. Their secondary is absolutely awesome. Huh? Huh? Wondering what's happening. I don't think that I don't think that they're going to get it done, George. I don't think that they're going to come out and be dominant against a UC Davis team that won ten games last year. That's coached by Dan freaking Hawkins, so you know that he's you know he's not going to be intimidated by playing against Cal. He's done it plenty. Um, I don't know. I, I think that it, it it's going to be an ugly game, um, and it'll be it'll be a Cal win. But I think they're going to feel this one. I mean, UC Davis is like the FCS version of Stanford. They got all these smart, physical kids. They've recruited really, really well, and now they've turned around and and gone from the coach who was recruiting really well uh, into you know into bringing in Dan Hawkins. And I think that he's. I mean. Uh, 2000 for he's been there the last few years they've been steadily getting better they're cal's not in any danger of losing but i mean they're gonna they're gonna feel this one this isn't this isn't your typical uh this isn't your typical fcs opponent um to to start the season especially when you're struggling to find your own offensive identity um you know they went from they went from five and six in 2017 to 10 and three last year seven and one in the in, in the big sky they're gonna they're gonna continue with that. They're they're gonna come out. I, I mean, twenty point win to me would be good. Thirty four fourteen, something like that would be good. But I, I don't see this being one of those fifty to nothing. I really don't see it being one of those games, especially without a without a quarterback who's a quarterback who's gone the last eight games without throwing over two hundred yards in a game. <laughs> I can agree with you there, Ralph. Um, oh, you forgot. One of the main points that you wanted to talk about today, you forgot about your man, Champ Flemings. So I'm giving you. Did I sell him short? Oh, wow. That, oh, dude. If you guys don't know who Champ Fleming is, 
uh, we will put a picture of him in the description, but he is Oregon State's. He's in Oregon State's starting lineup. He's five foot five, 140 pounds, and he's playing college football at wide receiver. This is absolutely incredible. This dude is smaller. This dude is smaller than JJ Taylor at Arizona. Smaller than JJ Taylor, smaller than Ken Simonton was, smaller than any player that you have ever seen, probably in a Pac-12 uniform. I don't even but know how to, I don't even know how he plays wide wide out. It makes it hard for the quarterback to throw in certain windows. They can't throw high balls to him. They can't throw jump balls. I mean, if you're not handing him the ball, how can he play? I gotta tell you, so this is the team, right? This is the team that had the Rogers brothers. If anybody can make it work, it's Oregon State. He played in all oh, 12 games last year. Jaquiz Rogers, yep. And, yeah, so yes. I mean, it's it's not like it's anything different for him. He got action in in every single game last year. Um, he, I think he, he had a few catches. He had a kick return. Um, he caught two passes for 42 yards against Washington State. Um, and he got two two catches in the win uh, over Colorado. So he's been on the field. He's been on the field in big moments. He was a monster in high school. He played at Cathedral. They are one of the best teams in California year in, year out. He had 2,000 yards receiving uh, in his high school career. He's good. It's The weight scares the living hell out of me, 141 pounds. Yeah, he's an inch shorter than J.J. Taylor or two inches shorter than J.J. Taylor, but he's like 35 pounds smaller okay. than J.J. Taylor. And, and so – I, I don't know. This is going to be pretty wild to watch. Definitely tune in for that. Oh, I'm all in on that. And people were talking about they're scared of Carly Lloyd being, being a kicker at a non-contact position, but you're not scared of this kid playing. Okay. okay. Yeah, exactly. That definitely goes to reinforce your point. And, I, I mean, I'll, I'll also throw out there that uh, <laughs> we, we've had – I mean, it's just a, like it's going to be wild. It's like watching Earl Boykins out there playing in the NBA – you know, and then all of a sudden you see him make a couple of plays and you're like, oh, he belongs. I think when you watch this game and you see Champ get a couple of catches and not just turn to dust like Thanos snapped or something the first <laughs> time he gets hit, then you'd be like, all right, I guess it is possible for uh, somebody the size of my 11-year-old son to be out there catching passes in the Pac-12. And then on the other hand, maybe it just adds to the whole narrative that the Pac-12 is a little bit – I don't know if you'd have a five foot 540-pounder in the SEC. I, I have no idea. But I do know that this kid has obviously been good enough to earn his way, and he's contributed in big moments. And so now he's just got a chance to step it up even more. We'll see what he does against a Big 12 opponent. Ralph, it's usually me who is burning, standing on the soapbox, yelling about something. But today it's you. It is your turn because you are the man affected the most by the Pac-12 and these awful schedules that have been happening. The Pac, the team that you covered the absolute most, the Arizona State Sun Devils, have three games on weekdays this year. Three games. What do you think about that, Ralph? Well, first, just to give me the energy to get through this for 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 our casting stones segment. You just please feed me those couple of metaphors you text me about about the Pac-12 plan on weekdays cuz I just need the energy and strength to get through this. Well, first thing is is all right, I'm like you the Pac-12 is devaluing its brand by playing on all these weekdays. Like you don't like Rolex, it doesn't try and sell watches in the middle of the mall. Rolls Royce doesn't try to put their cars in CarMax. There is power in saying no. Just because somebody offers you a Thursday game, a Friday game, say, oh, you'll be the only thing on. That doesn't mean that you should take it. Because guess who cannot watch on Fridays? Recruits. And guess who they'll be watching on Saturdays? Somebody else. Another conference. Because they can't see it on Pac-12 Network, so they can't... (laughs) So they're already at a disadvantage. And then you're not even playing on Saturday, so they can't even see the score go across the ticker tape and see it move. They need to be able to see you and your highlights during that time as opposed to coming home on Friday night. They're already going to be tired. They played in their game. They hung out with their friends, all of that. They're not even going to know what happened in your game. It's like it. 
you gave a perfect example like Thanos snapped and you were not there. The Pac-12 has to honor its brand. Do not try to sell your Rolex watch in the middle of the mall. Don't try to sell it at Jarrett's. Don't try to sell it at some. You have to sell it at high-end stores. See, now you got worked up. You pretty much did my job for me. I just <laughs> let me put it this way. I'm going to be out there. At, at It's one thing if you want to talk about what time slots you got to move uh, your school around to be able to make sure that somebody wants to watch the Pac-12 over the Big 12. But you know what you're never going to beat? You're not going to beat Grey's Anatomy. You're not going to beat Law & Order SVU. For God's sake, they are they put out a prequel to The Big Bang Theory. You really think that uh, families are going to miss the chance to watch young Sheldon to see Arizona State take on the, the, the Kent State Golden Flashes? Probably not. Probably not. It, it's a nightmare logistically anyway for people that just have to live their lives it's part of the thing that is driving down attendance people talk about you know pac-12 cities have so much to do and so much quality of life no attendance has gone down every single year because of stuff like this because you have eight or nine factors all working to drive down the attendance at the game i'm curious if asu is even going to pull forty thousand for a season opener with a brand new freshman quarterback that off of a team that broke everybody's expectations last year. I don't know. And then they're going to follow it up with playing on a Friday next week. On a Friday. If there's one thing that ASU has never been able to get right, it's recruiting all of the talent that's right here in state. But guess who's not going to be on your sideline watching your game on Fridays? Those players. Then, when they're icing up on Saturday, what? let's see what games are on. Exactly. It, it does absolutely nothing for your brand awareness. Then they're going to go out to Cal Berkeley and play in the Bay Area on a Friday night. Football players are creatures of habit. The one thing that the NFL has always done great, besides oversaturating the market now with a Thursday game, is making sure that the West Coast and East Coast kickoff times are always the same. Then you got your one Sunday night, then you got your one Monday night, then they set it up so that you've got time to prepare for those games so that your bodies, for the most part, are healed up right. Again, this is all outside of the travesty that is the NFL Thursday night games. But ASU is playing two Friday night games and a Thursday night game on their schedule this season. And they also still have to deal with the fact that if they're good, that changes them to being, you know, someone who doesn't get their schedule for the next week until six days out based on what TV uh, station wants to come in and move them here or there based on, you know, whatever they think is best at any given time. So I just it's hard enough on Saturdays when you don't know when you're going to kick off. It's a lot harder when you're throwing some of these games on Thursday and all that people can really do is just check Twitter to see how you're doing because they have other commitments, because they got to pick their kids up from football practice, because they got TV shows that they want to watch. They got family dinners and PTO meetings because they don't want to feel like shit at work on Friday morning because they stayed out till two in the morning in Tempe where the temperature never got below 100 degrees. I 100% agree with you, Ralph. And I hope that all you guys are cheering for Pac-12 teams against the other teams in the conference. Even if you're a USC fan and UCLA's playing, Washington, Washington State's playing, the conference needs to win these non-conference games. If you even want a chance for your team to win the national championship or get invited into the top four, if it's close, you have to have that pub and that pool. You guys, thank you guys for listening listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, your energy. Make sure you share the podcast. Tell a friend about it and visit unafraidshow.com. And also, if you have a question, comment, anything to send to us, send it to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com, the greatest email address according to Ralph and all the land. And we will see how... Uh, well, actually, we have to wait till next week to see how the Arizona Amsons do. So you guys make sure that you guys... You're killing my brand. You're killing my <laughs> brand with that. And you guys make sure that you guys tune in on Monday for the next episode. Peace out. Catch you guys later.